Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is David J.P. Fisher. He's a sales expert, professional keynote speaker, and best-selling author. Building on over 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur and sales professional, he combines the nuance, strategy, and real-world tactics to guide individuals and organizations as they navigate and leverage the evolving landscape of sales. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited for our discussion today. Can you share a little bit of your story and how you became a sales expert? And when did you start to see the need for sales to shift into the online world? Yeah, so I think I'm still hopefully becoming a sales expert because it seems like every day there's something new to learn, right? But I got my start in selling really early on. It was actually my first job, not only out of school, but actually still in school. I paid my way through college working with a company that many of your listeners are probably familiar with, Cutco Cutlery. It's a direct sales company and we sell the world's finest cutlery. And it really was, but it was a direct in-home sales sitting down with Mr. and Mrs. Jones at the kitchen table. And it was a really very formative experience for me. Not only is it was it a great product to represent, but it was a great training program. And I really learned kind of the ins and outs of selling on a tactical level, as I said, kind of as a, a 20-year-old, which was great. And then I actually ran their office for uh, a number of years in Chicago, got a chance to see it from the other side, to train and develop other young people as sales professionals, which kind of really was for me the start of understanding kind of there's more to the selling thing than just talking at people, right? And trying to be clever and, and slick. And so for me, that was the beginning of becoming a student of both the art and science of sales. And then about 15 years ago, went out on my own and started Rockstar Consulting, where I got a chance to consult with and coach and train and work with thousands of professionals. And so that was really kind of the lab that I've gotten to use as a learning tool to, to learn what's what works, what doesn't. And really, I've had a ringside seat for the evolution of sales. When I started selling in the late 90s, email was sexy. We just gotten that. We're like, what are we going to do with this whole email thing? And oh, what's this worldwide web, right? Back, you know, Mosaic and the early Netscape web browsers. And so it's been really fascinating watching how technology has changed the game of sales. And it really has. That's been kind of fun also trying to figure out how we kind of leverage these digital tools to continue to sell and, and engage with people in a professional way. So in walking through your journey, what are you grateful for? I'm very grateful for a number of things. I would say, luckily, I've been surrounded by really good people. And that's something that as I've gotten older, I've been I've realized how fortunate that is because not everybody gets that opportunity, whether that's a great family that's been supportive, friends. That's been huge. I'm also super grateful for all the times that I was able to learn through failure <laughs> and failure sucks. Like if anybody ever tells you that it doesn't, that, you know, there, there's this very sexy thing right now to be like, oh, everybody's got to fail, just fail fast, but it's okay. You need to fail. And those people are usually very successful and they kind of avoid the fact that when you're actually doing the failing, it's really awful. But I'm so grateful that I had a chance to fail in a number of different ways, but at least in a way that I could keep going and continue to grow and build. And that's been really formative for me. So I'm actually really grateful for that. I would not have said that 
in the moments when I was failing. Right. But uh, but being able to look back, I really do see how that's that's how you build character, right? You know, I mean, my dad joking with me, or not joking, maybe when I was younger, saying, "Oh, that's all right. This is going to build character." But it's true. You got to earn it, and I'm very grateful I had the opportunity to do that. Yeah, there's no shortcuts, definitely. <laughs> not even a little bit. Anybody who tells you uh, they've got a shortcut is trying to sell you something. Right. Why are the old ways of the linear selling no longer working, and what is the major approach to selling now? Yeah. So I talk about the sales matrix in one of my books, Hyperconnected Selling. For me, examining how we used to sell and how in many ways we still do sell today. Like we are in the midst of this evolution. This is not a, we can point to June 4th, 2017 and go, oh, that's when everything changed. But what happened was back in the day, information was really what salespeople or any person in a sales role was bringing to the table. If you were a business owner, an entrepreneur or salesperson, your prospects didn't have access to information. It was hard to come by. We forget that right now when the collected knowledge of the world is on our phone. You used to have to really struggle to try to find information, find solutions. And so back in the day, it was really easy to come as a person selling a product or a service and say, hey, give me some of your time. I'm going to walk you through my process where I'm going to do a little sales presentation. I'm going to maybe ask you some questions, build some value, have my quote unquote closing question. And it was a very nice point A to point B to point C. If you look at pretty much any sales book in the, the 80s, 90s, and even into the 2000s, it's always here's the seven steps to selling or here's the five steps or the 13 or whatever the magic number that sales author or trainer came up with. But now we have to acknowledge that our buyers are in an environment where they have access to a ton of information. They have access to everything that they could possibly want to find out about our product, about our company, about us as professionals. And it's no longer just this linear, you know, I'm going to be in control as the seller and take the buyer through their journey. I actually call the role for salespeople these days or the ideal role, that of a sales Sherpa, where it's really you're a guide for the person who wants to go up the mountain. So your prospects are potential clients and customers. They know what they want. They know they want to go to the top of the mountain. In fact, they've got usually some maps and some equipment, everything that will help them get there, but they don't have a guy to help them do that. And really, I feel that in that environment, it's our job to be that guide, to be the person who can help them make sense of that map up the mountain, show them how to use the equipment, how to make the best decisions, take the best path and get the best results. And that that's really different. That's very different than 20 years ago, just being like, I got to make a bunch of phone calls and try to find somebody who'll buy from me. It's required some rejiggering, in my opinion, of how we approach the people that we serve. Yeah, that's really good. I find with the people that I talk to, they struggle with the idea of building relationships first before mm. they focus on selling. You know, you get a lot of people, even on LinkedIn, there's just a lot of people that are just sell, sell, sell. Connect and, and pitch. <laughs> yeah. And they're like failing at it. Right. And so many people are turned off by that. So what would you say to those that are focused, say on cold calling, and they're just trying to make a sale and they struggle with the whole relationship building and seeing that as a better strategy than trying to get a quick sale, what would you say to them? Yeah, so I'm going to paint in broad brush strokes because when we talk about selling, I mean, there's so many different industries and approaches and needs and these are broad concepts. But what I would say to that person is if you are truly just selling a commodity, which can be sold as a transactional sale, 
I can get a really good website, a really good landing page to explain everything. I can get a good outbound marketing system, a drip email campaign to do what you're doing. And we're actually seeing the salespeople in industries like that get replaced really fast. But what won't go away is that person who can do what you said, build a relationship. In fact, going back to that idea of the sales Sherpa that I was talking about it, a big part of it is actually spending the time up front with somebody to really position yourself as that guide, as a trusted resource, as somebody who can get you up the mountain. Because if we go back to this idea that buyers have the control, buyers have access to information and they can make the decisions when they want, we can't control them like we used to as sales professionals. And when I say control, it's like we could kind of take them through our process. Instead, what we have to acknowledge is, hey, I want to be here for when you're ready, when you have the need that I can solve. Now, by the way, there's still a place for doing those that cold calling or you know doing the outreach. When I say being a sales sherpa is about positioning yourself, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort and energy for sure. But what happens is it's almost like you're doing a lot of the, the value building up front, right? So instead of trying to convince somebody to buy from you once you're kind of down the path a bit, what you're really doing is creating credibility and authority and value up front, positioning yourself as I said, that guide, that resource, so that when somebody needs what you sell, they call you up and they're like, hey, I'm going to go with you. Just tell me the best way of doing this. You know, I always use real estate as an example. I mean, last time I bought a house relatively recently, I've known my mortgage guy for 15 years, right? I know he's super knowledgeable. I know I can trust him. He's a friend. And I just called him. And I was like, hey, get me the best rate you can, but get me like the best product or, you know, I, there's so much in that world. I didn't go shopping around. I didn't do it. I just, you're my guy. Take care of me. And I know he does. That's what you want to be for the people that you serve that person on the other end of the phone, you know, that guy or that gal that they just call and say, Hey, I need help now. I think that's really powerful. You know, when I worked at Deloitte, I always say they never ran an ad because mm -hmm. they focused on just building relationships. We would find an executive we wanted to build a relationship with. We'd find out what his needs were. And like you said, start bringing value to that person and just and focus on the relationship. And you know, that. the sale would happen on the golf course. Right, right. You know, right. What happened when, in this case, the buyer, the executive was ready, right? You weren't like, okay, hey, can you buy from me now? Can you buy from me now? It's like, we're going to build a relationship. We know there's some service that we can bring, right? We're confident in that. We're going to just position ourselves and be present so that we are the natural choice yeah. when you realize that, hey, I do need some help with this. And, you know, I think what Amy has been saying the last six months, I appreciate the information, the insight she's been sharing. It's time for us to pull the trigger. What you do is you're not necessarily automatically the person they choose, yeah. but you're at the top of the list Yeah, and you're in the room when they're deciding what to move forward with. And, and that's really all you can ask, especially if you think about the more complex sales we see, especially like, for example, those of you listeners who are in more like B2B sales, where it's not going to be just a thousand dollar check. It could be, you know, tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars, a decision that takes six months to a year that has a lot of stakeholders and decision makers, really becoming integral to that decision-making process is how you get the nod, is how you get picked. So it takes some effort and relationship building up front, but the payoff in the back end is huge. Yeah. So what opportunities are businesses missing out if they don't create an online presence and instead they just focus on the in-person networking? 
I think what it really gets to is something we were just kind of touching on is that with all this relationship building and this positioning, and you just said, hey, the job might get done on the golf course. Well, the reality is, especially because of COVID and, and the effects that that has had, and hopefully as we get out of COVID, we get some more in-person, but for 18 months, there was no golf course, <laughs> right? Right, like, right. There, there wasn't a golf course, there wasn't a business dinner, there wasn't a lunch, there wasn't a conference, there wasn't that cocktail reception at the conference. You know, hey, I miss in-person a lot. I'm, I'm sure we'll get back to that eventually, but it's not going to be the same. And I think moving forward, what a lot of businesses have found is like, Hey, there's a time for in-person, but this virtual saves a ton of time and a ton of money. And we are going to, you know, not only we as an organization be there, but our people are going to be there. And so what I think you miss with, by not having that presence is you're just not in the conversation, right? What happens when, let's say you've done some good in-person relationship building with a potential client and they're like, cool, I want to move forward. And they talk to their boss or their partner or some other uh, stakeholder that they want to bring in. And that stakeholder, even just keep it simple, goes up to LinkedIn and looks you up and can't find you or like basically finds just a resume. All of a sudden you've lost credibility. You've lost steam in that conversation. doesn't mean you're going to lose it, but now you have to kind of start all the way back from scratch versus what if you had a great presence that new person coming into the conversation looks up LinkedIn or even just does a Google search and goes, wow, Amy is doing all this. And yeah, Amy's working on this exact stuff that I know we need. And oh, I can see why Bill's talking. Yeah, this looks great. When can we have a meeting with her? Right. That's what you want to have. And you miss that if you aren't spending time shaping kind of your digital presence, just like you would your offline presence. You, you have to do both. And I really think that that hybrid nature of business that was accelerated because of the pandemic, but it's not going to go away. We're not going to just all of a sudden be like, ah, that stuff's not important anymore because we can go in person. Yeah. In one of your books, you say who you know is as important as what you know. So do you think, believe that many people are struggling because they're not out there relationship building? Oh yeah, totally. I've heard this as well. I love the saying it's the old saying is who you know is as important as what you know, or even more important than what you know. I think you can even put on the addendum, who knows you <laughs> is even more important than what you know. And what I really think this gets to is a question about relationship building. Knowledge isn't a differentiator in, anymore, just straight data or information. I can get that anywhere, right? Another example, going back to, to real estate, because it's something I think a lot of people can really understand is 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted to buy a house, right? You had to get like the MLS listings and which showed all the houses that were for sale. The only way you had access to those is if you had a license. And the only way you did that is if you were like a realtor who was paying for that license. So you actually, if you wanted to buy a house, needed a realtor who had access to the listing of all the real estate. That information had value. Right now, I can go online right now. I could pull up my phone and find every house that's for sale within 10 miles or anywhere. Yeah. So that idea of then of what you know, that doesn't have value anymore, or I'm being too extreme. It has value, just not as much. More importantly, though, is the relationship that you've built with the customer or that potential customer, the trust that they have in you. And also the fact that you can take some expertise and go, I'll use the real estate example again. If you're a realtor, it's not, hey, I have access to the listings of all the houses. It's, I know how to interpret them, or I actually know what the school district is like 
in that area. Or, hey, I know that that listing that says it's like cozy and has easy access to transportation means it's really small and next to the highway, right? I have some expertise I can apply and give you insights. That's what that relationship is. That's what that engagement is with a potential customer. And again, that takes some time and effort up front, but it makes it so much easier to do business with somebody because all the hard stuff is done up front. And that's why I think it's really a mistake to kind of just rely on, oh, we have knowledge or information as the differentiator, because that's just not the case anymore. Yeah, that's so true. Anyone can Google anything. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. So why do you think that your ability to connect with others is the key to finding resources you need to succeed? If we go to that idea of it's not, you know, what you know, it's who you know. If you really think about the opportunities we run into, so, you know, a lot of my books look at networking offline and online. But one of the things that is really fascinating about network science, because there's people that actually study this kind of academically, is that they found that the people that really tend to succeed, no matter kind of what your definition of success is like, so they'll look, for example, a lot in terms of finding jobs, or they'll look in big companies and look at who's an executive, who's in leadership roles, et cetera. It really is the access to the opportunity that really is the differentiator. And where that comes from is not by being best friends with the person that can give the opportunity, but rather by knowing somebody enough, right? Having some sort of relationship where they're in a, let's say a completely different sphere of influence and information most of the time, but every once in a while you talk, you engage and they tell you, they say, Hey, there's this new job opening or, Hey, I know that there's this person I was talking to that you don't know, but might be a great client. I should introduce you to, right? If you think about that, that's it's how we find our significant others often, right? Through our network. It's how we find obviously new jobs for those of us who run businesses, you know, clients or in sales clients. What we often do is just kind of hope that it happens, right? Versus just being intentional about it and going, hey, are there things that I can do? And obviously I believe that there are, you know, the things I can do to be intentional about putting myself in front of other people, putting myself in scenarios and situations where I'm meeting and engaging with people I wouldn't normally. And then am I doing things to kind of cultivate that relationship with those people over time so that going back to everything we've just said, there's a relationship, there's trust, and then I can leverage that. You know, I'm the person they think of when those opportunities come up. So yeah, I think that's, it's a huge opportunity. What do you think your truth has been that has gotten you this far in your journey? You know, my job has been to serve, right? My job is to help other people. I'm kind of hesitant to say this because I think there's this aspect, it's kind of taken on this idea of like servant leadership and all these things where it's this very kind of unconfident, like I have to be under people, right? To support them. And that's not what I feel at all. Rather, I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, right? Something like that. But what I want to do is go out and help as many people be as successful as they can. There's an old sales trainer named Zig Ziglar who used to say, and I'm paraphrasing, but the key to success is helping a lot of other people to succeed first, right? I do think that there's something to that. I talk a lot in my books about networking karma. You know, you put good stuff out there, good stuff is going to come back to you. And so that's kind of been like, hey, if I keep putting at least good intention, I don't always do things perfectly or, you know, I'm not saying I do, you know, I don't screw up or anything, but my intent is always to help people be successful. In turn, people help me, which has been great. So what are some of your clients' success stories? There's so many, right? Because everybody's been so successful. (laughs) (laughs) I will say 
in general, a lot of times the biggest success is that whether it's an individual I'm coaching or even talking to sales leaders or we're looking at working with their teams or individual sales professionals, the biggest win has always been somebody who just says, I feel more confident and I feel more comfortable because confidence really is just about how we go through the world, right? Somebody saying, hey, I'm not as nervous getting on the phone. I'm not as nervous going and talking to this prospect or, hey, I've had this happen many times working with people who go, hey, I went to that networking event and you're right, it wasn't bad. I didn't feel dirty or, or sketchy. One group of clients I worked with, uh, wasn't a group of clients, it was a group of salespeople I was brought in to, to coach. And, you know, it was great. In just a couple months, we saw the numbers, which was really satisfying to see, you know, a 30% increase in, in sales just by really talking to the sales professionals and just having them go, hey, here's what I'm scared of or what I'm fearful of. Here's the emotional kind of challenges I'm having or I'm getting rejected and it's kind of bumming me out. And then helping them understand, hey, that's a human experience and there's ways past that, you know, and then saying, hey, but you can still connect with people and build those relationships. It's okay. Just get back out there and seeing those wins. For me, it's always nice to see my clients do better quantitatively. What for me has always been good is just kind of those qualitative conversations like, hey, I like doing my job better, right? Or a big thing over the years has always been around networking or LinkedIn, kind of which is online networking, just, oh, I get it. I don't have to be a sketchy, skeevy salesperson. I can be me. I can be authentic and still be engaged in that sales process, that's something I've always really appreciated hearing back from people for sure. If you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out, what would it be? Go have a little bit more fun. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if a lot of people would say that to their younger <laughs> self. And what I mean is not a go to more parties and, you know, get drunk or I mean, Hey, if I wanted to, that'd be fine. But it's something that I actually tell myself at this age, or at least I know the older me would tell me. So it's, I try to remember it's so easy in life to get just freaked out, right? About stuff and stressed and worried. And, you know, I think of myself in my twenties and my thirties, I'm, I'm in my mid forties now, you know, at various times, like the big things I was like, oh my gosh, you know, whether that was a career decision or a relationship decision or whatever it might be like, and, you know, you just stress about it. And just looking back, I'm like, it worked out. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. I always say like, I'm still standing, right. Yeah. I'm still okay. So I would just tell myself like, relax, have a little bit more fun. It's going to be okay. And really just kind of lean into that, you know, and again, even to this day, there's things, you know, that I stress out about, or I'm worried about, or trying to, you know, really focus on and be intent about. Sometimes I just remind myself, Hey, the mid fifties me is going to come back and be like, dude, D it all worked out or, you know, it's okay. Just there's no amount of stress you're going to put on yourself that's going to make things better. So go play with your kid for a little while. That's so true. I do want to mention both of your books, Networking in the 21st Century and Hyperconnected Selling. Those are both on Amazon. Mm -hmm. If someone's listening and they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? We mentioned LinkedIn a couple of times. I'm there quite frequently. So just search me or go to linkedin.com slash in slash IMD fish, I A M D F I S H. And we do have a podcast as well that we have a lot of fun with called Beer Beats and Business. Just search that on any of the major podcast apps and you'll be able to find that. And I want to mention your website, davidjpfisher.com. And I'll put all yep. those links down below so people can access them. David, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your wisdom with us today. It has been fantastic. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. And you, if you're listening and you want more information about A Call to Thrive, you can go to acalltothrive.com.